Hi, I'm JP. And I'm Chad. On this episode, Anna Brayton, senior designer at Amazon, talks about how her passion for design started with markers at a young age. She speaks of her career progression through 10 years of designing stores at Starbucks, to the challenges of projects with a blank canvas, and learning through seeking feedback from your colleagues. Anna talks about how design is a lifestyle, and having the right tools at hand makes creating so much more fun. Enjoy. This is Design School. Anna Brayton, thank you for joining us on This is Design School. You're welcome. Happy to be here. I'm happy to hear from you and uh, to get a little bit of your story. Um, How about if we just start at the beginning? So how or what got you into design? Yeah, so longer story than it probably should be. I'll try to shorten it as much as possible. I had always been a creative kid and um, into markers and colors, and that's really all I wanted to do. I didn't play with a lot of other toys besides like Legos, and I would just be super happy with a coloring book and crayons and to set me free, and I'm, I'm good. My mom and dad started a bakery um, when I was younger, and my mom decided that she wanted to stencil on some tables, and so she showed me how to do it. I was about eight years old and showed me how to do it and all the paints and how the stencils go, to, go on and how you do the whole thing. So I started doing that, and it was really fun, and then she did one and picked out some colors, and I hated it so much I started crying. And it was... <laughs> and, and how old were you at this point? It was eight. Eight years old, okay. And because uh, her colors were horrible and I just hated it. And she was like, okay, fine. And it was water-based. So she just wiped it off and was like, I will just let you do all of these tables. And it was probably a good, I don't know, 25 tables. Oh my. Yeah. Do you, so, rem- do you remember what the color choice was? I don't really remember. I feel like she like stenciled these apples and they were just like really ugly and I didn't like it at all Mm -hmm. and I think that was a point um, where she realized that I was a pretty opinionated um, but also had a pretty good eye for stuff and she was like okay fine uh, I will let you do it Um, and kind of ever since then I I they were really supportive of me you know doing creative things um, and expressing myself in different ways through dance or arts and crafts or whatever it is and one other thing that kind of happened is um, we started remodeling our house. We were My little sister was coming along, and we only had three bedrooms. There was going to be six of us, and my brothers were getting bigger, and they didn't need to share twin bunk beds anymore. And so and my dad designed and did all of the work um, and built it. So I was around that quite a bit as a kid. And then um, moving kind of through middle school, I was always kind of into what my room looked like and all this stuff. And across from my mom's bakery was um, this paint shop that also had wallpaper and carpet and all this stuff. And they would, those people would just let me hang out in there all the time. And I'd beg my mom to let me get some ridiculous like dolphin wallpaper or something. And <laughs> she was like, no, you can't, you're not going to like that in five years. And I'm like, no, I will. I promise. And 
yeah, I, I didn't get dolphin wallpaper, but, um, I spent a lot of time over there and I kind of realized that this was like, I could pick stuff out for my room and like do all this cool stuff. And, and then going into high school, I kind of learned what interior design was and learned that that was a profession. And we had a class in high school, kind of learned about different styles and room layouts and the work triangle and the kitchen. And like, you learned all of these basics, you know, and I probably would have kept doing it if they had interior design two or something. Um, but they just had the one class. And then uh, for my senior project in high school, we had to pick something that, you know, we wanted to do and document it and all of these things and write a paper. And so I wanted to decorate a room or like redo a room. And so my parents gave me like a budget, I think like two, 300 bucks, not a whole lot. And they gave me my sister's room. It used to be my brother's room. And they're like, we should probably redo this. And so um, I kind of got to work with her a little bit, who was like seven at the time. And so that was interesting. And then we picked out, I picked out all the colors and bedding and painted shelves and found some drawers and made a tabletop with my dad. And we actually like put the Formica on top, you know, and like worked with a budget to do all of these things. And I documented everything and wrote a paper on it. And kind of that was my, my senior project. And by that time, I kind of knew um, that when I went to college I, that I wanted to do interior design. So that's what I was looking for in schools. And um, what did you graduate with? So I went to Washington State, and I have an interior design degree. Yeah. And then from there? From there, from there, I didn't want to start a career. As we know, probably sitting in this room, design school can be really intense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot of hours, and I was frankly really, really tired. And I was like, I don't want to start a career. I don't want to start a nine to five. And my dad was really like, you need to get a job and blah, 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 this whole thing as parents do. And so I started looking around for other options and I found, um, Washington state and this school in London had like an exchange program, but I could do an exchange exchange program, but do an internship. So I'd basically be going to work every day. So I applied to that. I got in So I moved over there for three months and I basically worked for a small um, high-end residential and they did a little bit of office work too, um, small office creative space really over in London. And so I worked for them for three months and uh, came back and did some odd jobs, contract work, all that stuff, trying to find a job in, oh God, what year was it? 2006. And uh, I had a friend that started working for Starbucks and she reached out to me probably in November, October, November timeframe of 2006. And she was like, hey, our team is expanding. This would be right up your alley. It's what I'm doing. And I'm like, great. So I applied, um, long story short, got the job and started there in 2007. Yeah, so I started working um, for Starbucks in their licensed design studio. So that's any non-company owned license for those that might not know. So casinos, airports, hotels, College and universities, mm-hmm. Safeway, Target, all those um, were in that studio at the time. That sounds pretty fascinating uh, because it's taking the idea of the Starbucks brand and then putting it into another pre-existing environment or pre-existing brand. 
sounds like. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I really enjoyed that work. So I was at Starbucks for 10 and a half years and I just left last August and now I'm at Amazon. But my time at Starbucks is really um, where I grew the most. I mean, 10 and a half years is quite a long time. You're quite a bit older, <laughs> you know, compared to when you're fresh out of school. And so my journey through Starbucks was from when I started to when I left, um, what I was doing was very different. But yeah, the licensed stores was always such a, I enjoyed it so much. I was on that team for 10 and a half years, the whole time. Um, and I, I enjoyed it so much because there's so much variety in what you're doing and the different, almost like clients you're working for because they, it's their budget, it's their money, they're paying for the store. Um, and so not only do you have to, own and be that guardian of the Starbucks brand, you're putting it into someone else's space with their money. So you have to be really cognizant of the budget and what you're doing and cost, but also being kind of that protector of the brand and knowing that, you know, we are the experts of, of what Starbucks look and feel mm -hmm. is, which is, was always really fun and challenging. And they would always bring requests in, you know, like in college or university, they're like, we want this to be such a great space for our students. Like that's really important. So we want to spend a little extra money or if it's a hotel, we want our guests to feel comfortable. You know, we want a fireplace or like they'd ask for these um, really unique things that you might not typically find. And so that was always really, really fun. It, it wasn't monotonous it, at all. It was really challenging and, and really unique sites every time. I, I tell people I was never bored there. Like there was always a challenge, whether it was a request from a licensee or a um, design space challenge, like in the airports, like we get a lot of really small spaces. Um, and how do you fit a Starbucks and give a brand experience yet make it operate and at the high level it needs to because of the sheer volume it's proje projecting to do. This almost feels like the project that your parents gave you with your sister's bedroom. Yeah. Right? yeah you, you had to fit uh, into the environment that it was in. So mm -hmm. I guess you could say your design school experience started uh, <laughs> 10, 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, it's very similar. You know, if you kind of break it down to the basics, it's, it's very, very similar. You know, working for a client, working with their budget, their timeline, all that stuff. So 10 and a half years at Starbucks, that's a long, a long time. Especially like when you're, you know, that's the beginning of your career, right? Mm -hmm. um, so starting at Starbucks, I'm, you started at the ground level. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is it like going in and how would you say both your responsibility and task, but also responsibility in your team changed over that 10 and a half years. Yeah. So when I first started, we were, Starbucks was still drawing stores in-house. So my main responsibility was to draw stores, produce design intent drawings. And there, they are pretty complete. They, you know, have design details. They have floor plans, layout of fixtures, casework, equipment, furniture, flooring, the whole kit and caboodle. And then as, you know, I kind of moved along there at Starbucks, I then became a design manager and was really owning the design uh, top to bottom. And we started outsourcing. So I would do the design in-house and then send it out for those drawings. We no longer did drawings um, 
inside. Those were all outsourced, but you really become the owner of the concept and then executing that and understanding how to get your vision executed through the, the Starbucks channel, you know, like through the ordering process, who orders what, what the GC is going to provide, how we can utilize our vendors to produce things for us because we own that relationship. And so that becomes like the real challenge, right? Uh, And then towards the end of my career, I became the senior design manager and I was responsible more for the business side and staffing and resourcing of the target and regional team of designers that sat in Seattle. So I definitely had more ownership over headcount and um, budgets and store counts and making sure we're staffed and resourced appropriately. So that sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a very different challenge um, from design. You know, design is all creative and seeing this vision in your head. Um, And this was a very like more tactical day-to-day challenge mm-hmm. um, and and you know dealing with licensees and new potential licensees and you know there's a little bit of business savvy in there too to um, get them to partner with us and know I mean they can go with lots of different concepts right and so how do we know that we're really going to partner with them and show them that um, we're there to also make them successful as well and we do that through understanding their budgets and taking care of them. And so there's a lot of that kind of in there as well. What's the, what was the learning curve of, I mean, you just mentioned a lot of like detailed things Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's all these partners, there's all Mm -hmm. this and there's all that. I mean, when you were first starting out, like how much of that did you know and how did you go about learning it? I didn't know any of it. (laughs) (laughs) And this is design school. This is design school. So I think there, my perspective is that as designers and creatives, like we're constantly learning, mm-hmm. right? And coming out of design school, you really have the basics and you can like formulate concepts and make visions and like see things. And, and I think for me personally, where I needed to learn the most was like details is a great example, like understanding how things are actually constructed and how materials are going to get placed on the wall in what order do things go up? I mean, that's just a really basic one. And so that I can start to detail materiality connections and things so that it looks really clean. Cause if something you didn't detail it right. Some GCs just are going to come over and slap a corner guard on it. And it's just like, Oh God, like that's the (laughs) worst, ugliest thing I've ever seen is not what you wanted. Right. And so in the drawings are really your fallback. So if you can, if they do that, right. And then you can go back and be like, no man, this is how it's drawn here. You have to take that off. Like, so those, the drawings really become that source of record for, for what, your vision is, I think is, is understanding that what you put on paper is what is going to get built. And if it's not put on paper in a way that the contractor can actually do it, they're going to do whatever they want. Um, and so that's like one part. And so what I did is, um, you know, early on I got feedback, you know, like you need to work on your detailing and do all of these things and really understand the process so that you understand how to detail correctly. And so, you know, we had some 
I had some really great people around me on my team that were been in the field a really long time. And so they became like my detail mentors. Like, here's what I want to do. You know, here's some sketches I've done of details. Do you think this will work? And kind of going to them and using their uh, expertise and knowledge in the field. And they're like, yeah, but you could do it like this or you could do it like that. And I'm like, oh, well, what about this? And started developing relationships with people so I could really go to them with questions about things I didn't understand. And I think that's just really important. And then as far as understanding how like the ordering works or Starbucks works or all that stuff, it's it's really going and finding those people and like sitting down and listening to them. Like walk me through how you order something. What happens? Show me what you do. You don't need to understand it or be able to do it again, but just like sitting down with them, understanding what they do so that what you put into the drawings is easier for them to order and things don't get missed, you know? And I think um, taking that time and making connections with people has served me well. I know in my new role now at Amazon, I'm kind of in the middle of that. Like, who are you? What do you do? Can you show me how you're doing this um, so that I can make sure to catch things on my end to make your job easier or whatever it is. And so I truly believe like that sense of curiosity and continually trying to understand and learn more is ongoing forever. Um, No matter where you go, I think you have to dive deep into understanding everyone around you and how the process works to make things successful for everyone. Starting with that story that you gave us as a child, there was a sense of curiosity in there. And I'm wondering if that same inherent uh, development of curiosity was encouraged or nurtured or um, developed even further when you were in uh, undergraduate, or was that something that you had to to do on your own? I think it definitely is. And I think there's this innate kind of um, feedback structure in design school that you get. And it's really interesting. I've talked to people about feedback before and feedback so often is presumed to be negative, right? Like it's, it's like a personal like feedback. It's like, Oh, this is so bad. Something I'm doing wrong. Right. It's something I'm doing wrong. Um, Or it's a personal attack. Yeah. 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 It's like, I don't like you because of whatever. I don't even know. But, um, it was really interesting. So, we can talk more about this. I, I did a 200 hour yoga teacher training and we talked about feedback a lot and feedback is simply information. That's all it is. So if you can strip it down and just be like, okay, this is just information coming to me. I'm going to take what works and I'm just going to let the rest go. Right. And so if you can approach feedback and critiques is what we call them in design school, right? You stand up, you present, and then you get your crit, it's also just feedback. It's just information. And I think being able to take that information in and understanding what works and what doesn't and how you're going to apply it really, really helps. Mm. Um, So yeah, I don't, I think just the nature of design school itself really um, sets you up for that continual curiosity piece. What about with your um, employees that you work with and your colleagues? Do you find that providing them with uh, criticism or feedback um, is encouraged or uh, welcomed? Yeah. So I, um, 
when I was at Starbucks, we did almost daily pinups. And it's purely a session for feedback. It's like, here's where I'm at on my floor plan. I'm really stuck. I can't fit this in. This feels awkward, whatever. What do you guys think? You know, what's everyone think? What's your opinion? Because, you know, we had people at, had been at Starbucks for 20 years. You know, we had people that had been there two weeks, you know, so that level of collaboration and pulling information from um, the different states of people because someone who's brand new to Starbucks might see some something that someone that's been there for 11 12 years like well we've always done it this way they might totally see it a different way and it I think it might like that mix is opens up for more discussion and more exploration that might be a different solution you know and um I there's that saying, there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. I don't, maybe that's just something I say. No. I, I don't know. Um, because there isn't. And I think the root of that is, while I might not agree with what Chad told me in this brainstorm, but I'm going to explore his idea and go down this path. And that path might not lead me to the end result Chad was telling me about, but it will lead me down somewhere that I might explore something off to the left or the right, you know, and that might be the end, the right solution, the right design answer, but maybe wasn't where I started or where I intended to end, you know, but I think being really open to other people's views and ideas, um, whether you end there or not is not a bad thing. I think exploring it and either proving it out or proving it wrong one way or the other, like at least you check the box. Like, yeah, I tried that. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. It's like every, every new idea in brainstorming is a branch that you can keep going off to. Yeah. Except the difference is, is sometimes those branches come back together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like on the teams I have been on this, I'm not one to really tell people what to do. I like to ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, and by asking questions, you get people to think and I think the more they can think, the more they get a little more open and curious. So if they're not naturally like a curious person, it might just like by asking them questions, you st start to open up other options because they might be so focused on, you know, the deadline and just getting it done that they're not seeing, you know, there's there might be a better solution here that we could work through. Um, and I, I think that probably goes across design disciplines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, Especially thinking about graphic design, uh, which is what I teach. Yeah. That I'm often asking a question to the students to see how they will react to it or yeah. will make a comment and then ask a question to mm -hmm. see, are they getting where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. And I think my new job at Amazon is very much a, okay, well, what do you think? How does everyone... like? It's, it's very much we're because we're starting something new and no one really knows, you know, so it's very much, hey, what, what do we think about this? And we can have those discussions. And I think um, that kind of environment is really successful and cre creates really successful designs. So does it, did that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, know. well, I think that's a good <laughs> transition. I know. Uh, right. But you work yes. at Amazon. And, and I think what we probably can't talk about is is the difference between working at a place like Starbucks where, you know, there's a well-established brand that, you know, evolves over time, but it's, it's relatively clear and straightforward and mm -hmm. in, in some ways. Right. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, doing that for 10 and a half years, figuring out having this well-oiled machine mm-hmm. kind of that you've been working in and then all of a sudden transitioning to having a blank canvas of sorts. Yeah. It's, it's really different and challenging in such different ways. The, the blank canvas while everyone's always like, oh, I want a blank canvas. It's like, wow, I can color outside the lines? Like, this is insane. And there's a there's a lot of cross-pollination of different teams and different stakeholders um, that have points of view on uh, what the store should be. And I think it's fun and exciting, but it's iterative, mm-hmm. right? We're not just, okay, this is our floor plan. This is the way the operations are going to work and we're going to go just like in Starbucks, right? It's like, hey, have we thought about doing it this way? Oh, let's flip it upside down. Oh, let's do it backwards. It's like, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, there's so many levers we could pull and so many um, patterns that we could put that in that it's, I mean, it could we could go on forever and mm-hmm. never open a store, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But um you know, I think it's just really interesting too. And, and Amazon just as a company is a very data driven company. I, I think everyone kind of knows that and, um, not having a lot of data of how customers are using the store, I think becomes a challenge, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Starbucks, you had all of these thousands of stores that you could like, okay, let's test this thing, you know, and you can rapidly test it. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, well, we got one store. We can't really test a whole lot, you know? (laughs) So, um, it's all kind of assumptions and best case scenarios and, you know, what, what is the right decision? And we don't, we don't really know the right decision until we, we get stores built and can get that data. So it's kind of an interesting place to be in, but you know, you kind of, you're like, yeah, this is the floor plan. You're like pencils down. Awesome. We're done. And then it's like, someone makes a comment like, well, what if we did this? Oh, okay. Let's let's relook at this. It's a constant, you know, going back and and looking at stuff again and again and again and and that's what's really fun about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the challenge. You're at that fun part of the process where it's currently going back. It's constantly going back between divergent and convergent yes. thinking. Yes. <laughs> You're just like bouncing around all yep. between all the walls and then the walls get a little smaller and yep. then and then all of a sudden it's bigger again. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I I don't know that there's until we get more stores, I, I just think that's the way we're going to be for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our the design group that we have, there's four designers and, you know, we just, we all have kind of that, all right, we're just, this is what we're going to do this week and maybe next week it'll be different, but that's okay. And knowing that the feedback that's coming in isn't like that floor plan was bad or that design was bad. It's like, hey, I think you know, we'll serve our customers better if we try something else or we do something different and knowing that it's not like, oh, you sucked at that. It's not that at all. It's, it's understanding customer obsession is number one at Amazon. And so understanding that, um, this is coming from a customer facing or, you know, potentially ops facing cause they're as designed, they're also our customer, mm-hmm. you know, request or ask or relook at something to, to make sure that the, the business is successful. Mm. Oh, well, and I, I guess that's also kind of really interesting too, because, being an Amazon or working in that space, you're also probably ignoring some normal design patterns that you'd come across in a store. 
Like as far as um, it's, it's star, if, as far as like walking into a place and as a consumer, like yes. knowing exactly where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do, because a lot of other stores are like that. Right. Versus reimagining like this is what that experience could be like, and this is what the future of design pattern in that could be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally true. Um, you know, we most people build their habits from what's available. Mm-hmm. So if we're creating something that's brand new and never been done before, people don't really know how to use it, mm-hmm. but they learn really quickly. Yeah. Like the the store we have, um, people figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, and they get used to it really quick. Mm-hmm. I know I have. Yeah, and so that's really unique. Um, but there's also some interesting things in here. Just as humans, we tend to do things the same no matter what. There's and this could be argued for days. Hmm. So like the way you enter a store, most people turn to the right. Like it's just kind of like you enter on the right, you exit on, you know, you come out. It's not, is, it's just how we drive. Is that a cultural thing? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's how we drive in the U.S. So that's mm-hmm. like how people will go in and they typically like hang to the right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whereas in the UK or someone where they drive opposite, it might be opposite. You yeah. know, they enter in on the left and they exit on the left and they, that's just the way it is. And so we, we actually have had conversations, um, you know, about customers coming in. It was like, well, they're just going to come in and go to the right. Like, so that should be what product should go over there. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have this discussion that people are like, well, are they really going to do that? How do we know? Like, we don't have any real data that says that. I mean, we could probably find it, but, you know, it's just an interesting conversation that, that we still have. And we're like, well, people are probably going to try and go in on the right. Like, yeah. Like, end of the day. And you could reinforce that by the way you design the space. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Or you could not. Right. Or right. if we had a situation where we needed them to enter and go left, we're going to have to figure out how to design that in and make it very clear that you enter in on the left, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we've had a few situations where we've explored that. It's like, well, what do we do? Like, we have no option except for to make them enter on the left, mm-hmm. go to the left. So what does that start to look like? Mm-hmm. And I, it creates really fun conversations. It's really interesting, too, if you look at, I mean, even Starbucks is this way. There's a, a particular customer path or customer journey, um, that, uh, most stores have thought through and this is what they want you to do or what they want their customers to experience the store. And we have those same conversations, you know, at Starbucks is like, you want someone to come in, you want them to walk past the merch, maybe think about buying a mug. You look at the food case, you order, you pick up and then you customize and you leave. So like, that's kind of the order in which, you know, the customer journey flows at like a really high level. And then there's also like the operation side of it. So like the beverage production and how the partners work behind the bar, I think was always really fascinating to me. And I love talking to our ops engineering team a lot of times because I had really challenging small stores that I'm like, okay, we have to figure out how to make this work. Oh, by the way, it's going to be like a million dollar store. And so I think it's really interesting for me, that's really interesting. Like how do you operationally or, or lay out a store or, you know, affect the interior space of a store to adjust someone's experience and how they come into that space. 
So I wanted to change the topic, right? It's kind of we're coming here to the end um, a little bit. And at the beginning of our conversation, you're talking a lot about, you know, how you were little and how you had pens and markers mm-hmm. and like <laughs> design was really kind of came out of your own personal interests and stuff like that. And I was curious about how um, design impacts your life outside of work today in whatever forms. Yeah, I th- I think design is just kind of in my nature, right? And I always am looking for ways to keep creating, even when I'm not at work. Like, a work is a lot of, like, floor plans and Revit, and, you know, it's not shiny all the time. Um, and so outside of work, I, you know, I have our home, which I love to try things out and do stuff. I think at my last place, I probably painted it about four times, mm. um, just different colors because paint is cheap. Mm. And, you know, here we have a, our front room is like our creative space and we do some costumes. Like I like to sew, you know, create things, uh, jewel- make jewelry, just kind of explore all the those small little things you can do that push your mind a little bit differently and just get the juices flowing. Um, I do have adult coloring books, but cause they're really fun <laughs> still, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, at work. So Amazon is a very written word type of culture. They write a lot of papers and written word has never really been my strong suit. So I'm working to take a writing class in the next few months just to help me explore that. Like I'm a really good free writer, but I'm not a good like technical paper writer. Mm. Um, so that's a real challenge for me that I'm um, trying to get a little better at. It's really uncomfortable. Um, but yeah. And then like I mentioned before, I also teach yoga. I think that's just another creative expression of like physically um, and how you can create a sequence and then physically express that I think is really unique and fun. So. I, I like the idea of the way that you think about creativity as more than just, I do it from nine to five. And I'm wondering if you can maybe speak a little bit more about, is that something that has been inherent to you throughout all of these years? You know, we, we kind of started with uh, nine-year-old or 10-year-old Anna, and yeah. now we're, we're at present-day Anna. Has creativity been something that has seeped into every part of, of I, who you are? Oh, I think so. I think um, when I get bored, my first thing is not to turn on Netflix, although that is so much fun. And I think there's some beautiful television and wonderfully scripted shows that is creative in itself and that I am not good at. And so I'm really inspired by acting and people who can write like that. But like the first thing is like, can I paint something in here? Can I go like make something else? And or like, oh, I saw this piece of jewelry. I think I can make that, you know, like doing those kinds of things um, for me are are really fun. And I like to do them. Um, You know, cooking is another thing that I think is super creative that I really enjoy cooking and baking. And like I made a wedding cake for Stan's mom. I'd never done that before. I was like, I think I could, she asked me, I'm like, I could do that. You know, like (laughs) I'm not real shy to try something. And I think we live in such a a day and age that my light stopped working the other day. I'm like, well, I'm going to Google this. Right. And YouTube is amazing, you know, and I 
rewired a light switch. You know, like it's not the information's out there if you want it and you're willing to try and knowing how to access this and the tools that you need. And um, my dad always told me, you know, to make the job easy, you have to have the right tools. So I'm not shy about buying tools either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, whether that's markers or, you know, art supplies or actual tools or cooking utensils or whatever that is. I think, you know, if it's, if you don't have the right tools, it makes it really hard and that's not enjoyable. You know, if you have the right tools to do something it makes it enjoyable and really fun. Um, And I I think that's something my parents were always super supportive of was giving me, you know, some tools to work with, you know, and, and um, letting me explore a little bit. And I mean, I'm not saying I got everything I asked for, but Mm -hmm. I'm saying, um, you know, that where they could, they would allow me to, to, you know, express myself and try new things and, I took a sewing class, I think, when I was in middle school. It was like, I was the youngest person in this class. I must have been like 12 or something. And it was like a summer class, like, you know, that they have at the YMCA or whatever. And I was the youngest person in there. It was like with all these people learning to sew. Like, you know, (laughs) it was pretty fun. But, you know, I asked my mom if I could do it. And she was like, yeah, sure. If that's what you want to do, great. You know, Mm -hmm. so... I don't know. I think, um, you know, being creative is, uh, constant for me, you know, whether that's clothes or shopping or cooking. I I think, you know, some people might not think those are creative, but I would challenge and say that it is, you know, everything we do in life is problem solving of some nature or another. Um, and so that is a creative process and that is, um, coming up with creative solutions. So, you know, I think creativity is everywhere. It's just a matter of how you actually like, look at it. Mm-hmm. It's the lens through which you look, choose to look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of tools. Mm-hmm. Has there been a tool that you took from, um, from the beginning of your career that you still use now? It doesn't need to be a physical tool, oh. but. Maybe uh, any sort of thing that could pass on. Yeah. No, I have this. It's a physical thing. Um, I have this um, wheeled ruler. It's like a clear ruler. It's maybe like, well, obviously it's a little more than 12 inches and it's maybe three inches long. Um, And then it has wheels, like has this little metal thing with wheels that you attach to. And I use that constantly all the time and every time someone sees it they're like where'd you get that that's awesome and it's awesome Mm -hmm. as like a tool I don't know I use it for all kinds of stuff it's crazy but other tools that I use a lot besides that that's probably the best one honestly good pens don't Mm -hmm. go cheap on pens buy yourself a nice pen (laughs) that was funny because (laughs) we just came from uh the um, international district. And I was, Chad met me at a bookstore where I was buying pens. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) See, as designers, we all have our pens we like, and there's no pen shaming. Everyone's different. They like their pens for different reasons. And that's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They didn't, they didn't have my favorite. They didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's also different pens for different uses. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I like a felt tip. Sometimes I don't, you know, just kind of depends. I'm definitely a 0.3, 0.5 <laughs> pen, and and that's what I have I have yeah. searched for now. Yeah, 
Do you like the erasable? No. Oh, oh no, no. I love my mistakes. I love scratching <laughs> things out. Like uh, as I've gotten older and have made more and more mistakes, especially when writing, mm-hmm. I love to try to draw a straight line. Ooh, see, you need my wheeled ruler. I do. Yes. Then it would be nice and straight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get a picture of that ruler for you guys. Yeah, it's definitely. at my, it's at my desk at work. Mm. Well, Anna, thank you for this wonderful conversation. Thank you. It's been. Um, it's been wonderful talking to you and, and learning more about you and uh, your journey in design. Thanks. Thanks it's for been, sharing. It's been really fun. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. Take care. This is Design School is recorded in a field where design happens. The intro music for This is Design School is Electronic Nostalgic, composed by Paul Tyen and published under the Creative Commons on SoundCloud. Continue the conversation by contacting us on Twitter. JP tweets at JP Avila. And Chad tweets at Chad P. Hall. You can follow the show at TIDS Podcast. Get more info on the podcast and subscribe to our newsletter by visiting us at thisisdesign.school. Help spread the word by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and Stitcher. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.